Wonderful. Didn't think I was going to be getting such a wonderful um, little moment of a hello there up front from Richie. Um, I remember those days vividly, like it happened the other day. Or oh, maybe I should stay here. Okay. Uh, Rich was a mess. If, if this story tells you one thing, he was a mess. It was hot. It was a unique, unique time in Empangeni. Empangeni is hot, but that was a unique time. And Richie, Richie got the worst of, of M's. But um, yeah, I think. Richie, I always looked up to you, and I'm grateful that you, from then, have been a part of my life, and now, full circle, I, I'm part of Bosch, I'm part of this community, my sister was here years ago, I used to come and visit, 12 years old, at the back of the church, just marveling at a community of young people, old people, that wanted to just worship God and be together in this space. I, I marveled, I didn't really know what was happening, but I thought it was amazing, and then came to study here, and now I get to stand up here and preach the Word of God. So this is super special. Thanks to the eldership team for you guys um, giving me the opportunity to come and speak. I'm going to invite my wife up. She's going to come and read uh, the text for us this evening. We've been married a whopping six weeks. So we... We're living in those early fruits of marriage, so that's awesome. We're loving it. We're enjoying it, and yeah, go for it. Thank you so much. It felt like we were just walking down the aisle for the first time again with that whoop, whoop. Um, I'm reading from Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, otherwise known as the Great Commission. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Yeah. I'm going to pray first and then we're going to get going. Father, thank you for your word. It's rich, it's life giving. I pray that this evening you would speak through me using your word here in these scriptures. Holy Spirit, won't you work in the hearts of everyone that's here and would we hear um, the message that you have for us this evening? We trust in you, we rest in you, and know that you are the one that works in us and works through us. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Awesome. So, it's been an awesome six weeks. Awesome six weeks. We've been in the This Is Us series, and effectively what we've done is taken our DNA course, the membership course and that's coming up. We've taken that and we've spread it out into six weeks where we looked at what it really means for us to be a spirit-dependent, Bible-loving, gospel-shaped people filling our city with the message, life, and fame of Jesus. You would have seen this number of times in the last six weeks. And we took the time to actually look at what that means. And in the past uh, two weeks, we have looked at how we actually go about doing this. It's a wonderful mission statement, but how do we actually go about doing this? We do this by being with Jesus, that's presence, becoming like him, spiritual formation, 
And tonight we're going to be speaking about doing what he did, and that's mission. In these things, Christ calls us to grow. We never arrive and we're never fully there, and we aren't called to be perfect in these things, but we are called to grow in these things. This is what Jesus calls us to do, to practice these things, to practice the ways of Jesus and to give ourselves to these things. And I remember growing up, I was fascinated by jazz music. I was fascinated by it. I was fascinated particularly with the saxophone. This was an instrument that I thought was amazing. Jazz music was something that my family loved, my mom loved, my dad loved, my sisters loved. We went to, uh, my mom and my sister, we went to a jazz concert when I was like 12 or 13 years old. I remember watching these guys going, this is amazing. I wanna do what they did. I wanna be up there, I wanna play the saxophone but I never did anything about it. I didn't even tell anyone in my family or in my life that this was something that I was vaguely interested in. On the other hand, if you know anything about me, I'm absolutely obsessed with cricket. I live for cricket. In fact, my December on the 26th to the 30th, every single year is me on the couch, dirty in my pajamas, watching the entirety of every single day of the test matches. I watched, I watched it. In fact, this last Chris, uh, Christmas, my sister walked through 10 o'clock in the morning. She looks at me and she goes, you still do this? <laughs> I was like, yes, nothing will change. I'll still be watching these test matches. Even in my 60s, 70s, I'll be doing it. So I'm obsessed with cricket. And I, I remember reading in, in Brian Lara's book about how he used to throw a tennis ball at the wall, practice his cover drive. I, just, I remember also reading about Peter Pollock, bowling again and again, trying to hit one stump. And I was, I was captivated by these guys. I wanted to do what they did, and that's what I did. Spent in between watching the cricket, throwing a tennis ball at the wall, practicing my cover drive, much to my mother's dismay at a dirty garage wall. Now, I'm no Peter Pollock, and I'm no Brian Laura, but I'm also no saxophone player. In fact, if he gave me one, I wouldn't know what to do with it. I might make a whole bunch of noise, but it wouldn't be something that resembles someone who knows how to play at the saxophone. But with cricket, I, I kind of know what to do. I, I'd like to think that I'm competent. If you come and bowl me a couple balls, I think I'd be able to hit it. The difference was that I practiced my cricket skills. Until I was able to do something of what I admired those guys did so much, I was shaped by them. And I wanted to do what they did. I read about them, I watched them, and then I tried to do what they did. And with the saxophone, I did nothing. I know this might be a little silly analogy and a, a little way to get to know me, but what, it, what stands out in what I've shared is that it's not enough to just admire Jesus or to admire his life. It's completely necessary to practice his ways, to do what he did and to be shaped by him. Uh, this is an anecdote about giving yourself to something that you desire. With the saxophone, I had mild desire with no action. With cricket, I had immense follow-through. These last three weeks, we've been looking at practicing the ways of Jesus. And today, we're going to be talking about mission. For us as, as Christ followers, that's the doing part, is to be on mission, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world that's in desperate need of good news. In effect, what has happened in the scriptures is that Jesus, the sent one, has now sent us, his ones, out into the world to carry out and continue that mission. 
as my wife read in the Great Commission, this is the very, very text that Jesus is calling us out into the world. It's the great example of us going out into the world and being on mission. And we as a church are joining every single other church that has ever been and will ever be in joining in on the mission of God in the Great Commission. We are not a church that's just doing our own thing on the side. We haven't made up some fanciful idea. No, we are joining in generations upon generations that have been doing this very thing. And we get to work that out in our local context right here in Cape Town. Right at the beginning of the series, Ryan spoke about that old Mustang car, that the gospel is that engine. The heartbeat of that car is the gospel. And I love what Louise had to say a couple weeks ago. She said, if the gospel is the engine, then God's presence is a fuel that powers the engine. But when that car has its engine running, it's fueled up, It's ready to go, it has to run, it has to go somewhere. You don't put fuel just for it to sit there, it has to go somewhere. And for us, that something is being on mission. That's what Jesus has called us to do. I won't labor the car analogy much longer, but one thing that's important also to note, and I've come to recognize in this beautiful car analogy, is that yes, you need fuel, you need the presence of God, but you also need the mechanic. As you drive your car more and more, the interesting thing is that the more and more you need a mechanic as well. So if you think that just because you're growing and progressing in your faith, that you get to rest in your laurels, that is completely untrue. You need to keep going back and again and again to God for him to keep working in your life regularly so that we can keep going on to our destination to preach the gospel of God to all the world. We need God. It's impossible for us to do this without him. It's impossible to be an outwardly focused people without the spirit of God working in us. The continuous work that God does in our life is this mechanic. It's God partnering with us to make us more like him. And last week, we spoke about, uh, when Jeff was with us, he spoke about becoming like Jesus, which means that we intentionally choose the activities that we are going to place in our lives to help us be shaped by Jesus. We give ourselves to that tinkering, and that's through um, Sabbath, through prayer, through worship. We give our lives to those things. So not only do we spend time with him, but naturally the next step and the next progression is that as we spend time with him, his goal will become our goal. His mission will be our mission. That's the natural next step. And so that's what we're looking at here this evening. Even as we looked in the verses last week, as um, Jeff was preaching in 2 Peter 1, verses 5 to 7, it reads like this. For this very reason, we make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. And that last piece of that sentence in verse seven has been key for me. And godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. You see, the trajectory of one who lives in this progression goes from Jesus, spending time with him, to virtue, that inward working of God in our lives, and then 
outward. Brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. The last two weeks, we've been doing business with the vertical, doing business with God. And now we're gonna look at the horizontal. What does it mean for us as those that are continuously spending time with God, being shaped like him, how does that make us live out into this world? How do we interact with the world around us? And I hope that the point of the message today would be one that ultimately shows you that mission isn't necessarily the goal. No, God and spending time with him and being shaped in him would always be the goal. But that goal, once it works in you, compels you to do something. It compels you to go out of you as you have experienced the life-giving power of Jesus in your life. This is what Kevin DeYoung says about mission. Every Christian, if we are going to be obedient to the Great Commission, must be involved in missions, but not every Christian is a missionary. While it is certainly true that we should all be ready to give an answer for the hope we have like Peter says in 1 Peter 3. And we, are, and we should adorn the gospel with good works, like Paul says in Titus 2. And we should all do our part to make Christ known, like Paul calls us to in 1 Thessalonians 1 and 2 Thessalonians 3. We should reserve the term missionary for those who are intentionally sent out from one place to another. What Kevin DeYoung has, be, has said here has been so helpful for me because sometimes, and I think this is common with many people, is that we can get overwhelmed with the idea of being on mission. But what has often happened, as I've chatted to some people, is that we equate being on mission to being a missionary. We equate being on mission to having to go out somewhere, plan a mission trip, go somewhere, go far, so that we are on mission. But every one of us, if we are to be obedient to the call that God has put in us in the Great Commission, we can't run away from the fact that we are on mission right here, right now. All of life is mission. So this doesn't necessarily mean that uh, you have to pack up your life and go to the underground churches in China or move to the Middle East. No, you are on mission right here, right now. We don't get to be let off the hook and say, okay, maybe if I plan a mission trip or even look back at my life, I went on mission, I've been on mission, I went on a mission trip. No, all of life is mission. The reality is, is that actually some of us might go on a mission trip once or twice, no, that doesn't mean that we've been on mission. No, as Christ follows, all of our lives are orientated towards mission. In our office, in the gym, at school, at varsity, all our relationships, all our play, all our work is orientated towards the coming of the kingdom and living in the reality of the kingdom having already come. That's the call today, that every single one of us would uh, do what Christ has called us to do with our one and only lives. Everything we speak about here today has everything to do about how you're going to do tomorrow and how you're going to live your one and only life. Mission is part of that. And mission has been something that has been close to my heart. Um, I'm not necessarily the most effective. I'm a shy, awkward guy. If you, if you ever see me, my face, I'm not always smiling. <laughs> but I am friendly. I know uh, some people think that I'm such a serious guy. No, it's because I'm awkward. 
mission has been close to me. Um, it's been close to my heart. And I want to be effective in the way in which I spread the message of God. In fact, that's the very thing that my wife and I connected over when we first met. She had been uh, on a mission trip previously to Kenya, and before that with her mom when she was in school, they went to Greece, and I had just also come back from a mission trip to Madagascar with Carl Peters and a few other people here at Bosch. Then when we got married, one of the reasons of why we wanted to move to Seapoint was every time driving along that beach road where we saw those people, homeless people, sleeping on the side of the road next to the tennis courts. We wanted to do something. We wanted to be closer to those people so that we could do something. I've not arrived with this stuff, but I'm grateful that God has put it on my heart and the first, or the initial way in which he put it on my heart was here in Bosch in a student meeting, Carl uh, was preaching about being on mission. Uh, the thing that stood out when Carl was speaking about it was that we have to be open to the missional opportunities God is giving you right here, right now, in your context. Before you dream of going out on these big mission trips, before going out to Greece or to Kenya, God calls us to be on mission firstly where we are before calling us to go out and go far. Did it help me to recognize that there are people right here in my life, in, within my reach, that need to know Jesus? And so my journey kind of began with recognizing that as a Christian, as a Christ follower, my life, I am on mission. I don't get to choose that. I am on mission right here, right now. And there are people that need to know about this about what God has done. So, when I look at what does this actually look like, we're called to be on mission, but what does it look like? And I want to look at this in three parts. The first, we love and have compassion like Jesus does. We're gonna look at the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. We're gonna look at the, the latter part, but obviously we know just before this, um, it's the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, there's two people that see this uh, Levite man. He's gotten beat up by some robbers. He's on the side of the road. And in the story, you would have thought that the two people previously to the Samaritan would have been the two people most likely to actually move towards the Levite man. People of high religious authority, you would have thought, are the ones that would have moved towards this man. But in fact, they are the ones that actually step aside or walk on the other side of the road to leave the Levite man on the side of the road. And then this is where we're going to be reading from. But a Samaritan, um, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds and pouring on oil and wine. There, uh, then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Again and again, I've been struck in the gospels. I've been struck and challenged by Jesus in the way he interacts with people. The humility and the compassion of Jesus is incredible. Even in this story of the Good Samaritan, the question was posed to him about who my neighbor is but to, to try to catch him out. 
It wasn't a question to come to understand who this Jesus is. Is what he's saying really true? Do I want to follow this person? No, they asked this question to try to catch him out, to have a crafty way to maybe cast doubt into who Jesus was. But knowing this, still Jesus moves in compassion and kindness towards him and answer the question in a way that would have been uh, understandable for him. What's also striking in this story is obviously the narrative is flipped on its head. You would have thought that the two people, most likely high religious authority, would have been the ones that moved towards him, but no, it's a Samaritan. Someone that in actual fact in that society was someone that was supposed to be on the other side. We, me as a, a Levite person, I don't ever speak to someone who's a Samaritan. As a Samaritan, I also, I don't speak to someone who's a Levite. But Jesus flips this on his head and says, no, as Christ followers, we are to move towards our neighbors in kindness and compassion. And it doesn't matter who or where this person comes from, commonalities are not enough. We move towards our neighbors in kindness and compassion. What I love about the Samaritan is that he also, there's two things that stand out, is that also he didn't wait to be asked He saw the need right there and he moved. He saw that that was enough. He moved towards the Levite man because he was driven by compassion. Love and compassion also means that we give freely of our time and of our resources. Number two, we are orientated towards justice and mercy like Jesus is. I'm going to read a few verses that have been so helpful for me as I've thought about this particular point. In Isaiah 30, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise you up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. People of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. And I love this verse in Micah 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and walk humbly with your God. And then in Proverbs, the righteous care about justice for the poor. The wicked have no such concern. Here again, the righteous are active in their justice for the poor. Saying, of course, I feel bad or, you know, I hope to do something, doesn't cut it. There is an active involvement that's implied by those that are righteous. They act. To be righteous, to be holy means that we act. You cannot be holy and righteous without action. Now, I want to be clear about something here. When we talk about justice, I'm not talking about social justice in a secular sense, as we've seen maybe on social media. I'm talking about biblical justice. And you might ask now, okay, cool, that's nice. What does that actually mean? Simply just means that we are to have a biblically rooted response to injustice. That means that the Bible has to be the loudest voice on the matter of justice. It is the launching point, the guiding light that shines into whatever we do or say. It is the final say. Richard Lundy at Common Good says it like this. It is the brightest light that shines into the darkest parts of our country as well as our own hearts. 
It's not merely an opinion or a tool to accomplish a preconceived idea of justice. Too often we treat the Bible as something to use in order to support our point of view rather than the source of what our view should be. We use it to read the world around us. Now I recognize that the need around us is overwhelming. And in South Africa that need is also not simple. But this isn't a reason for us to disengage but actually should compel us to engage, to realize that we are still called to be on mission in our local context. But we go with Jesus. We go with his sustaining power. And Richard Lundy also says this, Christ followers are to pursue justice in their own individual capacity, join with others in seeing justice upheld, and to depend on the spirit of a just God to empower them live whole lives of justice for the glory of Jesus, the one who has showed us the length and depth of his pursuit of justice. The option is therefore not to disengage, but to move towards justice and to depend on his spirit to guide us and strengthen us as we go. Number three, live beyond ourselves with an eternal perspective. In Hebrews uh, verses Chapter 12, verses one and two, it reads this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I love this verse because it gives us an eternal perspective of what the point of all of this is. We are missionally focused and outwardly focused as Jesus was as he endured that cross. He was able to endure because he held an eternal perspective of what was happening in that situation in that time. He knew why he was doing what he was doing. Even to the point where on the cross, as he's about to die, there's another man who's next to him who recognizes that this is Jesus. This is Jesus. And he rebukes his friend who was, or not his friend, the other robber on the other side who said, if you were the son of man, you'd save yourself. And he goes, no, this, this is him. And Jesus recognizes a faith in that man and says, you will see me in paradise. Jesus is on the cross near death, but he's still compelled to move towards people because he has holding an eternal perspective of what this all is about. He was still about the father's business. This doesn't make it any easier. I, I recognize it and it, but it does give you a perspective you need to hold to endure some of those tough, awkward, and potentially humiliating times. And as I've prepared for this evening, I've come to realize that a lot of what Jesus did and what he calls us to do will fit into one of these three categories. But what is common out of all of these is that we serve a God who is outwardly focused himself, who is missionally focused, who set on a mission to come and break into this world and save the lost. He was on a mission, a God on mission, and now he's calling us to be on that mission with him. Okay, cool. I'm going to ask Jason to come up and share a testimony, just sharing a little bit of what it looks like practically how we go about that in our day to day. He's gonna share a little testimony and then I'm gonna share some practical tips off the back of that of how we actually go about doing this. Cool, Jace. 
when it should now stand. Can I move the server? Shot. Shouldn't be up here too long. <laughs> How's it going, everyone? Going, everyone. Definitely feeling honored to have been called up to stand here and very underqualified, but apparently I don't need to be qualified. <laughs> a little bit about me. I'm, my name's Jason, married to Leslie, and we definitely would be sad saying goodbye to all of you soon. I came to faith, the sort of defining moment was in grade 11 in 2015. I'd grown up in a relatively churched family and environment. Um, struggled with my, my doubts, so then actually encountered God's spirit uh, during some worship on a Wednesday evening at school uh, with close friends and my younger brother. Um, and that moment was like, okay, this is, this is real, this is actually happening. Um, I was probably fairly well put together on the outside at that point in my life. I generally quite quiet, stuck to most of the important social rules. I was a bit naughty in terms of like I'd try and climb on the roofs at school and all that, but it was never really like an unpleasant person to be around. <laughs> Inside my head, probably a different story. I think I'm was and still working on it, but quite quietly prideful of myself um, and my abilities and and some of yeah, who I am as a person. My sexuality was a mess inside my head and quite disgusting how I expressed that at the time. I was a lazy worker, um, among other things. And God's been doing incredible work in my life um, directly through his word, through this community through close friends like Josh who's staring at me right now going, yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's been a, a good work. The definitely having mature Christians around coming to Common Ground in uh, 2017 when I left high school was a huge step and just really, like I've encountered the spirit of this God. I know he's real now, but actually grappling with um, the truth that, that Christ spoke. Um, he didn't come to say like, Everything's going to be all right. We're going to go dance in heaven one day. But there's, there's real work to be done here in our, in our hearts um, and in our society, uh, this side of eternity. In terms of living out uh, the gospel on mission, that's certainly, I think, even as you said earlier, Langa, um, it's something we aspire to and, and we all fall short of in some way. What I've found in, like, immeasurably helpful in that journey is is being real with yourself about the message, about the truth of, of that gospel and understanding the story that, that we're a part of. Um, encountering Jesus in his word, in conversation with, with fellow uh, believers and Christ followers. Um, and actually letting that sink in and, and change your heart and allow it to change your life. Um, you can be the most, you can be an intellectual Christian in a sense and, and know the story and be able to say the right things, but to actually allow that to change your life and how you live is the power of the message. It's the power of our, our witness to, to friends, um, to family members, to colleagues. Yeah, community is so helpful in that as a gesture to Josh. He's getting a lot of air time this evening. Um, having someone close who I can share my deepest struggles with, my failures, my victories, um, who I can in turn encourage uh, when he's not doing well and he needs that support. Um, having it, we've had an amazing life group that we've been part of while we've been here at Bosch um, and hope to find similar, and I'm sure we will in, in C Point. 
having people that, that know you well. That, in short, as I stood up here and shared some of my shortcomings and failures, it wouldn't have been a surprise to a lot of my close friends. They would know that about me. I'm not trying to hide my, my failures, um, but rather bring them to the cross and allow those things to be changed. And that's led to me being able to have questions asked of me from, from close friends of mine. I think it was a good example, Josh, um, helped me to remember in thinking about what I was going to share with you guys this evening. A really good friend of mine who I've grown up with since I was one or two years old, um, who does not follow Jesus, um, but knows me well and has, has grown up with me, asked me at, at my bachelor's party, he's like, why have you and Liz not been having sex? Like, you, you guys are 23, 24 now. Um, like, <laughs> you're going to get married. Like, what are you doing? And that was an opportunity for me to share, like, it's, it's more than just, like, you've got to obey these rules and do X, Y, and Z, but really sharing with him the story of what Christ had done for us and we not trusting in our own idea of what is right and wrong, but actually submitting our lives to, to his will, and it's completely worth it. And in talking with him about the practicalities of that, he was like, yeah, sure, we get along with it. But when I actually shared that story with him about Christ, his love, his laying down for us, and the power of his word, um, and his word being truth. Like, Matt was nearly in, in tears in that moment. Um, and it's still an ongoing conversation with him, and having Josh around at that moment to also share and um, you know, have conversation with him was, was powerful. But it's those moments where the actual witness of our lives, people look at us and can see that there's something, something different here. And if you don't genuinely believe that story yourself, that's the first place to start, allowing the gospel to actually come in and, and change your heart. Um, yeah, and to trust in its power. And that's something I, I certainly fall short of. And I get very caught up in, have I got the right words? Like, is my, I'm still like, struggle with a lot, of, uh, a lot of sinfulness in my own life. Um, and knowing that I'm not the perfect example to be, to be sharing this, but actually trusting that the, the power of Christ by his, his spirit is in us. Um, and that's what can actually change people's hearts. And just welcome them into this joy and this family uh, and the truth and life that we, we have. Like, we really need to reckon with that if, if we're going to... I mean, it's not worth sharing if it's not true. And we really need to let that truth sink in so that we can share it and this family can grow and more people can come to know and experience Christ and ultimately have life in him, eternal life. Yeah, it's a tricky society, I think, in the moment, where a lot of people have heard the gospel message in some shape or form and has often been misrepresented to them. And so just inviting questions, asking people their experience, their thoughts has been really cool for me, like having conversations with colleagues, with friends um, who have some idea um, of church, but actually church and, and Christ, and asking them what their thoughts are and saying, like, oh, that's interesting. It's not how I've experienced it at all. And being able to actually share the the truth of who he is and, and what his people are about from outside. And as Lange mentioned, um, there's something big on my heart that I'm trying to figure out how to, how to serve God and his people well in is those who are in most need. Um, it's easy to be, to be friends with people who reciprocate, excuse me, <laughs> who reciprocate love uh, to you, people who are able to, when you help them out financially, you can, who can give back to you, etc. Uh, but there are a lot of people in our city that are not able to give back to us when we when we serve them, um, and it's not it's not that common to actually show those people love in our society with our words, with our actions, our time, our resources. And if we understand the, the grace that we've been given, that we do not deserve, um, and allow that to change the way we treat others who don't necessarily deserve our grace in that sense, 
it's a powerful message. It's a powerful witness to the world um, and a true witness to the world of what what is actually happening, what what God is doing to rescue his people. So that's a bit of my experience, and I hope that you can identify with some of that um, and be encouraged. It's, it's the most incredible story, and I'm still trying to let it really sink in and, and change my own heart. Um, yeah, and it's beautiful. So carry on, Lungs. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks for serving us. Well. Encouraging. Awesome. That's super helpful. I'm going to share a couple practical things. Um, some of them you would have heard in what Jace shared of what it actually, how do we go about doing this? So first, be present. What I mean by this is that we keep our radar up and notice the people around us. There's going to be opportunities around you, either at the, the queue, at the till, at, the, at school, at varsity, at the robots. There's many people that you interact with. Be present to those. Number two, be persistent. Go to the same place over and over again and build some daily or weekly routine so that you can encounter the same people so that you can build a connection and repertoire with those people. Number three, be patient. Build relationships and build trust. Those take a long time. I shared earlier that I am an introvert, I'm awkward, but for me, the, the friendships that I have are deep. I've built trust with those people. You know, some people make friends like that, but some people need that time. And then the last one, be prepared. There's going to be opportunities. Don't live as if God's gonna do nothing. Live as if God is gonna do something and be prepared for when he does something. So these things are, are, are not easy. I'm not saying that they are, but I think they are worth doing. They're worth practicing. And maybe just choose one of these things. I'm not saying that you have to get them all right, implement them tomorrow, and you have to have your five-step plan for each one of these and how you're gonna get it right, be effective on mission, and change the world. No, pick one of these that you're going to practice. That's where we started off this evening, by saying that we practice the ways of Jesus. We grow in these things. So pick one of them. Pick one of them and give yourself to one of them. And over time, as you're confident, you can move on to the next one. Wonderful. I'm gonna call the band up to, to join me. One verse that has stood out to me as I've thought about this evening, and I, my hope is that something of the verses here have been put to you in what you choose. In Deuteronomy, it says this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord uh, your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land of the Lord that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to, Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give to them. I hope that I have put to you today to choose life. As you join with us on the mission of God, Choose life, choose to give life to this world. Choose to give life to your soul as you preach the message of God. To obey him and to hold fast to him. And join with us as a church as we, as we do this. This church for me became a family when I recognized that I'm not just here by myself, but I'm here on mission with other people. 
Everyone that I saw around the room was on mission with me. I was on mission with them, and we're a church that has been on mission since the beginning of um, when God fans into flame through his spirit and the apostles, and we're carrying out that mission. I'm gonna pray for us as we, uh, as we come to, to the end of this evening and we worship God. We worship him for what he's done. We are compelled to do these things, not just because it's a good idea and we call to it, but because we've experienced something in our own lives that compels us to go out and do the same thing. We're inviting people into an experience that we have experienced. We're not tapping into some something else, something that maybe we've just read a couple times. No, we're joining in the church's mission and joining in into what has happened internally with you to share to the people that are in most need of this good news. Father, won't you equip us to be able to, to do that, to go out into the world to share the good news of what you've done throughout the generations, but also that you've done personally in our lives. Holy Spirit, won't you equip us, won't you guide us, and won't you strengthen us as we go? We know that it's not simple, it's not easy, but it's worth doing because of what we've experienced, and we long for people to experience what we experience in the good news of Christ, and the good news of the gospel, and you breaking out in a mission to come save those who were lost and undeserving, And so we pray that you would compel us in compassion and kindness to move towards our neighbors, to love them and preach the gospel of God. Amen.